Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault cast, the show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week, we're talking about how we really feel because we're talking about the 2015 film Inside Out. Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Well, I know. I know Riley's head. I'm your host, who's pretty sure his head isn't filled with tiny people, Aiden Simons. And with me this week is a very good friend of mine, a very talented artist, who I also assume loves to talk about emotions. And it is Aliana Manteria. How are you? Thank you for the warm welcome. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, of course. Thank you for being on and for talking about a movie that is honestly one of my favorite Pixar movies. And, <gasps> is it? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes, I love this movie so much. I haven't watched it in like a good while, but I love this movie so much. And so when you like brought this idea, because I, I mean, because yeah, sometimes I feel like with some people, it's when I when I reach out to people on the show, it's like they know immediately what they want to talk about. And other people, it's like, you know, because there's so many to choose from. Mm-hmm. So like when you finally like came to me this one, it's like, ooh, very interesting. Like both because I love this film and I feel like there is a lot of discussion to be had about this film itself. So um, but yeah, going off that, why did you decide to talk about Inside Out? So I think uh, the reason why I want to talk about this film was because when I originally watched this movie back in 2015, I was a, I think it was right after my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it at the time, but um, the year after that, my sophomore year was when I became a psychology major at my school. So I was an art major, or I guess like a digital art major and also psychology. But I guess what drew me into this movie was, um, how they depicted different emotions through the different how they like showed the emotions how else would I describe it kind of like um like the personifications of them that's the exact word I was looking for yeah the personification and how like obviously the way that they depict emotions and how their process is not accurate compared to like you know how the mind actually works but I thought it was a really cool way to um illustrate it and I thought it was really cool to see how the emotions play on Riley's character and it made me wonder are the emotions controlling her is she controlling the emotions are they getting the better of her so it's just that kind of thing of figuring out how important these emotions are in her development throughout like this this short phase of the movie because when you think about it the movie doesn't take place over that long of a period of time but so much happens and I guess we could go into this later on into the um, into this episode, but it makes me wonder, you know, how this film could have been if this took place over a longer period of time, like more throughout her development rather than just like a very short piece of time. But <laughs> long answer. Um, but in short, I just thought it was really interesting how they showed her mind and made her character very multidimensional. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of yeah, I kind of do want to go into that a little bit later when we talk about the movie itself. But yeah, obviously, I mean, the depiction of emotions um, in the movie is simplified a bit to like kind of make it more palatable <laughs> for a wide audience. But I do kind of like how right at the top they do explain like 
what each emotion is for and like how it like helps mm-hmm. Riley. You pointed that out, how that how the film doesn't really take place in that long of a span of time. But um, but honestly, I do think it, it works because it is t- tells such a like an impactful and pretty traumatic moment in her life. Like I am someone, well, I mean, I am someone who moved, but I never moved as a kid. I never like was forced to move. So I got to imagine that is pretty, got to be traumatic. And like, I mean, it's also like the perfect age when like, you're like, you know, you're starting to like become a teenager, your body's starting to change. So like your emotions are starting to change. So I really, I do. I mean, yes, I do think it would be cool to see kind of a year in the life as like through her head, but I also feel like there's something interesting about it just telling a very specific moment in her life as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And going off of that too, is even though it was a short period of time, bringing back, you know, when the emotions like joy or sadness, for example, are talking about Riley's core memories, they all took place when she was younger. So Mm -hmm. even though it is a short time period, it is talking about, you know, how her past shaped her future in a sense. But yeah, that's a good point to bring up. You know, it is a traumatic event, especially moving, transitioning when you're not the one that's wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. It's one thing when, for example, if, if you're fresh out of high school and you're going away to college, you're choosing to leave, that's your choice. But when you're a kid, you don't really have a lot of say in your life. You don't really have much that you can do. So it's kind of against your will in a sense. So yeah, I could yeah. go on forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, you weren't, decla- you didn't declare a psychology major as a time at the time you saw this movie, right? I did not know um, because I saw this, I think it was, yeah, the summer yeah. before, or maybe it was like- It was the, yeah, it was summer of 2015. Yeah. So I didn't officially become a psychology major until that fall. Mm-hmm. when I started to take psychology courses and then I thought I don't know what happened in my brain but I was just like let's declare this as a major and take more classes and just see what happens and I did it I stuck with it outside of that what kind of is like your personal history with this so did you have like this like interest in psychology when you saw this movie or is it kind of like you know kind of like kind of aligned with like you discovering like oh I kind of have an interest in something like this Okay, interesting question. I don't think this movie inspired me necessarily. Yeah, I'm a, to study I, I'm, it. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. No, that's okay. But I remember my senior year of high school, I took a psychology class for the first time. I really enjoyed it. And usually, introductory classes, they kind of skim the surface of different topics. But I still was really fascinated by it and felt really, I don't know, I just really enjoy learning about different parts of the mind and doing different exercises like I said, you know, about like learning about the brain, learning about how people interact and think. So I have that in my head, leaving high school, I guess, kind of going into college and seeing this movie, not that it necessarily like ignited something to make me want to study it more, but it was just, it felt different to me than other movies I had seen in the past. And I think what makes it stand out is it almost in a sense reminds me a bit of reading a book and how you could hear the thoughts of a character and go really into it. And of course with other movies, you can hear like an inner monologue, but this feels different in a sense where it feels like you're really starting to understand the character in a different kind of way. Um, Maybe I'm not articulating it in the right way that I'm thinking, but yeah, 
no 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 you're fine yeah no I wasn't like I was just like curious because like you know you had this like you know like seeing if you maybe had this like burgeoning interest in psychology and this movie that was about psychology came out so like oh interesting I'd go see it especially like from a kid's movie of all things Mm -hmm. yeah and I I wonder kids that see this what they think because watching a Disney movie when you're a kid versus watching it as an adult you get a different perspective and you mm-hmm. you hear certain lines in the story or in the movie that maybe you wouldn't have even picked up on as a kid. Um, so I wonder how like the kid version of me would have watched this movie. I don't think I would have really read much into it, but mm-hmm. I guess, you know, when I was 18, 19 watching this, yeah. I thought it was neat. Yeah. No, for sure. And like, you know, I was around, I was the same age too. And like, you know, I feel like when you're 18, 19, that also is a very like, foundational and sometimes traumatic moment in people's <laughs> lives too because it is like yeah you're starting off for college for the first time it's, it did come out of this weird time where like you know emotions are like running high in a lot of things too yeah I, I'm just, obviously like they do I feel like they do explain it in a in a good way for children and the way like they explain like how each emotion works So yeah, now that like we kind of got that those little introductions out of the way, let's go into the history of this film itself. And um, I kind of want to start off with the director of the film, Pete Doctor, born in Minnesota, which if you've seen the movie, you know, is a very important location. And he began to teach himself cartooning at a young age. And he kind of said it was his way to play God, which I feel like a lot of people who like, who like write and create things kind of have that inclination because it's like yeah it's kind of cool to have this whole universe that is just yours he did start studying in minnesota studying philosophy and art but then later transferred to cal arts which is basically like 99 percent of prominent people in the animation industry came from that school it's literally like right next door to the disney studio so major names in pixar disney even so it's like cartoon network basically all came from cal arts And as a student, he made short films like Next Door, Palm Springs, and Water, and the former of these, Next Door, did win a Student Academy Awards. And he did intend to join Walt Disney Animation Studios, like many CalArts grads, like I said, but got offers from both Pixar and The Simpsons, which at this time was really just starting to like become the massive juggernaut that it is, but instead opted to join Pixar, which in 1990, Pixar is not Pixar, the Toy Story studio. It's very much a computer graphics company that he even later said that it was an unusual choice to join um, Pixar at the time. When he joined Pixar, he was only the company's 10th employee and it's only its third animator. And Pixar at this time is very much a company that's like starting to form together. And obviously only a few years later, it would release Toy Story, which changed the game in so many countless ways. And I just want to make a quick point before we move on that also one of his first jobs was as an animator on the Walt Disney World attraction Cranium Command. That'll be important later. When he first started Pixar, he was like really at the bottom doing small menial tasks, but gradually rose up through the ranks and did a lot of jobs eventually doing stuff from writing to orchestrating scores and had major roles in films like Toy Story and Bugs Life before making his directorial debut in Monsters, Inc., 
the fourth Pixar film, if I remember correctly. Um, notably, the first Pixar film not to be directed by John Lasseter, who thankfully is not a major um, force in this movie because he was busy. You know, this was like right after the Disney merger. So he was busy focusing on making the animation studio back on track. So it's the only time we'll mention him here. And then he followed up Monsters, Inc. by directing Up, which was a massive success, both critically and commercially for the studio, was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars and made tons of people cry. <laughs> and it was while working on Up in 2009 that the ideas for Inside Out first started to form uh, He, when he began to notice changes in his daughter's mood and kind of saw that like she was becoming more quiet and reserved which kind of um reminded doctor of himself when his family moved to denmark when he was a child and he said himself that his interest in animation kind of isolated him from his fellow students who were more interested in stuff like sports and when he saw that his daughter was kind of isolating herself as well he started to imagine like a world that was set inside a person's head that kind of controlled their actions and controlled how they acted in the day-to-day -day life. And really early on in the film's development, um, Doctor decided to talk with different psychologists because he knew this was going to be a pretty heavy film subject-wise. So, you know, probably really wanted to make sure he was being accurate in his depiction. He decided, he started talking to psychologists like Paul Elkman and UC Berkeley professor Datcher Keltner. And they argued that our emotions are what form our social lives and social interactions. And these emotions can also alter them as well. And, you know, it's something when you think about it, it's like, yeah, like you, your emotions really do kind of run how we like enter a situation, like entering a situation scared and nervous is going to be different than entering a situation, you know, happy and full of joy. Um, Elkman outlined seven core emotions that had universal signals across like, you know, various people, which was anger, fear, sadness, happiness, disgust, contempt, and surprise. Though obviously some of these emotions like fear and surprise and disgust and contempt kind of do share some overlap. And because when it comes to like making the film, they decided to condense it to a group of five emotions. Other emotions were considered for the film though, like envy, love, shame, ennui were also considered for the film. I think there was like, I think 14 emotions that were considered for the film. I mean, obviously when you make a film, 14 different characters is a lot. I had no idea that they were considering other emotions. That's so interesting. I feel like that really could have changed the mm -hmm. way that the story worked. It's interesting too, because shame, I feel like could fall in under the sadness umbrella, so to speak. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you could be sad because you feel ashamed or you could feel love because you're happy. So a lot of these could overlap, like you did say before. But that's really interesting if they were specifically trying to depict just envy or just yeah. shame. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, you know, these like universal emotions like are good, like, because they're like, they are like really like they're big umbrellas. Like, yeah, like, they can cover a lot of things like disgust can cover stuff like contempt or um, disgust can do stuff like shame, which also can relate to sadness. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, let me pull up the thing. Um, here, let's see, there's stuff like irritation, pride, envy, greed, gloom, despair, depression, and love. Mm, okay. 
So like, obviously, like, yeah, a lot of these were kind of like, you know, rolled into other emotions that we see in the film. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the five we got are good, like, broad blanket emotions that do cover a wide spectrum of like, other emotions, because obviously emotions aren't just like a black and white thing. There's a lot of nuance to them. But I feel like the ones they set on do have like a good, like, broadness to them. Mm -hmm. And especially because I think we could probably talk about this more later, but just to go off of that you know, these emotions, they're not isolated, you know, they, they coexist with all these other emotions. It's not like, you'll feel specifically just happy one day, and then another yeah. day, just sadness, you know, they all kind of coexist in a way. So even though they were thinking about using other ones, the five that they whittled it down to encompass like all of those other ones also. Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like that is, yeah, that is like one of the main themes of the movie is like you need various emotions in your life. Like that is healthy to feel a multitude of emotions in one day. And I mean, obviously that's a big part of Joy's arc in the movie is realizing that like you can't just be happy all the time. Like you mm. can't be that like if you want to be healthy and like having other emotions is healthy. And yeah, that's like a big part of this film. And I, yeah, like obviously like five is a good number for like any sort of like group or team because like any more and any less can kind of feel a little off so I feel like you know if having the pair down to five they did pick a good five that like really encompassed a wide variety of feelings mm -hmm. and when it did come to outline the story um half of the story crew were women which was deliberate because um I mean I the animation industry is so it's a, one of the most insular um, industries in entertainment and it is very infamously a male-dominated industry it's like I mean entertainment is always like based on like relationships and stuff but the animation even more so is like very very insular and I do feel like it's important especially because the film is about a young girl's emotions and obviously like some emotions are like you know emotions are universal but like happiness to like you know an 11 year old girl is not going to be the same sort of happiness that a 40 year old man is going to experience <laughs> yeah it's very different and the first storyboard of the film actually took over two to three years which i mean animation is like infamously like a very very long process and it went through several screenings with the Pixar Brain Trust, which is kind of like the top story group before even entering productions. And it was said that like around seven versions of the film existed before production even started. And while there was always a concept for the film, it was the specific story itself that was a source of contention. And one of the original ideas for the story was Joy holding on to Riley's youth for way too long. And so very much more of like an inside and insular internal conflict. Um, I don't, I guess like the whole concept of the move wasn't really decided on yet, but they decided that they needed something external to really like make the story. And so they decided on a sudden move and not even a sudden move, but a move to like the other side of the country. And an original draft of the story had joy and fear get lost together, which they, uh, they thought would be the more funnier route to take with the story, which I mean, I guess you can get like, with a character like fear, like on the loose, I guess, you know, that could open up for some hijinks. Um, but for some reason, the film just wasn't working. And Doctor was feeling really frustrated with the film and its progress and was feeling all kinds of emotions, including fear that he would get fired, sadness about what he would miss at Pixar. And when he was thinking about what he would miss at Pixar, he was saying that he would miss the people at Pixar the most. And that's what made him realize like emotions are what deepen our relationships with others and that feeling of sadness decided to make him give sadness a more prominent role in the film and 
that would require like a major overhaul of the film but obviously as we see that did make the film better because I feel like if the film was going to focus on a duo I feel like joy and sadness are the right ones because those are like the two polar opposite emotions like when you think about like conflicting emotions it's happy and sad so having happiness and sadness team up would like does give it like that good contrast that you need in a movie like this yeah and I think it gave it some interesting tension too because if if you're happy you don't want to be sad and if you're sad you kind of sometimes you want to just like feel that sadness and you kind of don't really see a way out of it so it's like you said, these two polar opposite personalities, I guess you could just say for a character in the movie. And they both, I guess they're stubborn with how they feel and they, they want to continue on their own routes and they realize that they have to work together. And I guess, you know, that brings it to like the end of the movie when, you know, you realize that they all, like all these emotions do need to work together in tandem in order to improve on different aspects of your life. Like for Riley, when she I mean I remember at the end of the film where um sadness realizes that sadness is actually valuable and important because sadness goes through the entire movie feeling like she doesn't belong feeling like she's worthless and then in a way because like throughout this whole adventure of trying to get back to the headquarters she realizes that she actually was able to get back she helped and so in a sense it's it's the I feel like like reframing your thoughts in a way and this is how the movie showed that yeah no for sure and like if they did continue with fear I mean I it's obvious that this film would be about it's okay to feel scared sometimes it's okay to feel afraid which I mean that's a message we get in like so many films but like yeah we don't really get a lot of films that say it's okay to feel sad sometimes so I feel like just doing that just like kind of makes it stand apart even more so but even like what you brought up fear being a potential lead character it made me realize that there is fear within Sadness's character. Mm-hmm. So at first I thought, I don't know how that would even work, joy and fear, but in a way, the character of Sadness was afraid mm-hmm. and didn't feel capable. So in a way, I think they kind of yeah. found a way to still keep that um, yeah. idea. And even like, even Joy had like fear, like fear that sadness would ruin Riley's memories. Like that's what causes her to abandon sadness in the last act of the film is her fear that sadness is going to ruin all of Riley's core memories. So like that little tangent of fear is still there. That's a good point. I think they're depicted in different ways though. Like for the example that you gave, she was afraid and because of that, she took action. She did something about it. And then in other ways for sadness being afraid, there were times where she was laying on the ground, she wouldn't do anything. So there's different ways you could either do something about it or I guess not do something about it. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to like the emotions that they are like joy, obviously happy. When you're happy, you you tend to take action more so than when you're sad. And when you're sad, you kind of like shrink and kind of just like go more inside yourself. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously these emotions are personifications, like they are one emotion, but like obviously their characters in a movie, they have to, they have to have more than one emotion. And that kind of shows just how like emotions just aren't black and white. There's nuance and dimension to them and how we express them. I do feel like, you know, ultimately with them like choosing sadness over fear, I feel like 
obviously, like we said, fear is an emotion that can kind of show itself in many ways. But really, I mean, like they made a good choice when deciding who to bring in the spotlight versus who to like keep behind because like joy and sadness are very can be I feel like are even more so like more multifaceted emotion than things like disgust and anger and fear obviously there are like the little like you know differences to how express them but like I feel like fear is more of a one-dimensional um emotion than something like sadness which show have many different forms I kind of want to argue against that in a way so I think that with any emotion in a way, it's not just this one specific feeling. I think you could always trace it back to something else. Um, like if you're afraid of something, it could be exposing an insecurity. It could be because maybe something in your past didn't go well. So you're afraid of that change. So I think even if fear stays in the like emotion of fear, it still could go, it could still be explained in so many different ways. But I was actually surprised because when I rewatched this movie, you know, I was thinking about joy and sadness in a way being the main characters and then mm. disgust, anger, and fear being the supporting yeah. emotions. And I guess I was a bit disappointed looking back because I feel like the character of anger, I think, was there for a good amount of the movie and like his character made sense with the development of Riley. Like, for example, anger made Riley run away mm-hmm. anger made the hole in the headquarters so that the emotions can get back to headquarters like yeah. that I mean it was constructive but also not productive too in mm-hmm. the end when she ran away but I was a bit disappointed that fear I feel like did not get a spotlight at all like I don't really remember much of what fear did at all but I feel like the majority of the movie, Riley is afraid of change. She's afraid of starting over. I feel like a lot of it has to do with that, but the actual character is like barely in the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. The other three emotions, yeah, anger, fear, disgust, they're more, yeah, they more are like supporting because they are important, but they, they're they're more pretty like used for like comic relief things, even though they are very much involved in like the dramatic sudden third act. And I get why like, you know, you probably can't have all five emotions yeah. outside of Riley's headquarters. But yeah, I do. I That is one of my biggest things in the movie. Like, I kind of wish we'd get more development from the mm-hmm. other characters. Like, I don't know whether anger or fear is more of like the bigger comic relief character. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they they really don't get a lot of development. And I, yeah, I, I get why it's a film. You have a limited amount of time. But yeah, that yeah. is one of my bigger disappointments because they they are important characters like in the film story and film's world but yeah they don't get as much development and screen time as joy and sadness which is yeah, yeah it is disappointing i that and is I, one of my like biggest disappointments of the movie even though i i still love it <laughs> i didn't think about it the way that you did though so i appreciate you bringing that up about how they're kind of brought up for comic relief so i didn't really think about it you know this dramatic adventure And then with them, they're doing the funny stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't think of it like that. But also, like, I like the characters in a sense. But, like, I think disgust is cool. But, like, I almost feel like, like, sorry, disgust. But, like, I feel like she could have not been in the movie and it still would have, like, went the same way. Because I feel like she didn't really contribute much to, like, the storyline besides, like, possibly giving input for, like, what anger should do. But I feel like disgust didn't really do much in the movie yeah no I like disgust and I like I like like I like them including the emotion of disgust and like explaining why it's important but yeah no I do agree like and I think it's a very cool design as well but yeah no these 
it is that and like obviously like I mean, we're gonna get a little bit um more into the thing about like our sequel probably is never really wouldn't work but like if there were a sequel to be made i thought that would, one of the things i'd want most is like more development on those other characters like discussed who like really did, weren't able to get the spotlight in this film just because there are so much other things happening <laughs> and it also makes sense too because you're not going to feel every emotion as intensely and as equally as the other ones. So yeah. also, I guess it could work like that because it's like you're not going to feel disgusted the majority of the time, I guess. Yeah. So I guess in a sense, it did work. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. <laughs> no, and like, I feel like of the, like the four emotions, like disgust is probably like the least important. Like you said, like I said, like you, the film could work, but like just in general in life, I feel like disgust is probably like, if we're like making these characters as real emotions, disgust is probably like the least important of the emotions. Cause mm-hmm. it's like probably like the least comes into play. But like, yeah, I mean, we just always saying is we want more of disgust in our world. We want more disgust. <laughs> Um, so yeah, going back to the production of the film, very early on in production, Ronnie Del Carmen joined the film. He prior acted as story supervisor on Up and directed its short, Doug's Special Mission. And before he joined Pixar, he was a storyboarder on Batman the Animated Series and was a story supervisor at DreamWorks, where he worked on films like The Prince of Egypt, Rotel Dorado, Spirit, and Sinbad. And he was personally invited by Doctor to be a co-director of the film. Um, Unfortunately, I do not think he is with Pixar anymore. I think he's off doing his own thing. So I imagine if he did stand Pixar, he probably would be directing his own film by now. But there are the people who worked on this film who will be directing their own film. While Del Carmen does have a story by credit, the screenplay was credited to Meg LaFauve and Josh Cooley, along with Doctor, who they both contributed to the story in rewrites. So they didn't actually make the script, but they heavily edited it. Both have worked with Pixar numerous times, with LaFauve writing the script for everyone's favorite Pixar film, also 2015 film, The Good Dinosaur, and did have a story credit on everyone's other favorite Pixar film, Onward. What are these movies? I've never heard of either of them. Um, The Good Dinosaur is not a good movie. It's a movie <laughs> about, um, basically, it's a movie that's like, what if the dinosaurs weren't killed by the asteroid? And so it's like a caveman, but like the cavemen are less developed than the dinosaurs. And then the dinosaur's dad like dies a really gruesome death. What? It's not a good movie. <laughs> A movie that I would like to do an episode on because they like basically like restarted that whole movie like halfway through production, like changed the cast, crew, everything. Yeah. And then it like like, bombed at the box office. Yeah, no, that's literally they're like, yeah, we're going to scratch this movie and we're going to start from scratch. I think only one cast member like stayed on. I feel like that's when, you know, like maybe that movie should not have existed but then again I haven't seen it I'm just yeah no <laughs> that's you know it is but you know they put money in it but it, yeah it, and then it bombed at the box office I think it's like the first and only Pixar film to like fail at the box office wow. I think well I think technically Onward did too but you know that's kind of an exception because it opened in March of 2020 okay well that really does it <laughs> yeah so you know that's not really the movie's fault Oh man, I can imagine how many other movies out there failed in March 2020. I mean, even movies now, like it's nowadays, like when a movie like makes like a hundred million dollars, it's like, oh my God, world record. It's a record breaking success. When wow, like yeah. 2019, like movies were expected to make like a billion dollars if you want to be a success. Really? Yeah. I don't really have a concept of like 
the amount of money it takes to be considered successful at the box office. You just hear millions. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. Well, I mean, it's like relative to like how much the film cost and everything. So like a movie that takes like a hundred million dollars to make like your average Marvel movie is going to obviously need more money to be considered hit than a movie that costs like $10 million, like a lot of horror films. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize they were much less expensive to make. That's like the big thing with like horror movies, like stuff like the paranormal activity movies, just to make an example, like they cost like pennies to make which is like by that mean like a few million and like they can like make (laughs) that back in like their first week huh interesting thanks for the info I didn't know that yeah I mean it's kind of twisted now because like the Marvel movies and superhero movies are expected to make like a billion dollars if they want to be considered success like I remember like I talked about this movie before but Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice it made like I think 975 million dollars and was considered a failure because it didn't hit a billion dollars. Is it also a thing too of knowing about how much it's profiting so it's not breaking yeah. even, for example? Got yeah, because like obviously like that's like when it comes to a budget, a film's budget, like that doesn't usually include stuff like marketing and all that, oh. which these marketing pushes for films can be expensive. Mm. It's like a weird, it's a tricky thing. And especially now that, yeah, like, because like, especially with the pandemic and like theaters, like some theaters, especially internationally aren't open fully now and like now that so many movies are also releasing on streaming so it's like kind of like trickier to see like what is a success and what's not nowadays exactly because they're not being paid directly by the consumer they're getting paid I guess through the streaming service I have no idea how that works well it depends like something like um Cruella on Disney plus I guess a more recent example is Black Widow that costs 30 bucks on Disney plus versus like 750 in a matinee or like you know 12 dollars uh-huh. at like a midnight showing like if you pay the 30 bucks for disney plus that's when it's going straight to disney but if you play the theater like disney's still going to take a chunk of it but like they also have to pay the theaters and the exhibitors for that too oh so there's a difference between okay i guess i was thinking about they just add it to the site like they just add it to disney plus or they just no. add Netflix, for example, you have to specifically pay for it. Well, it's some movies are doing it differently. Like Warner Brothers, all their movies are in HBO Max, just like just that. But it's only for like 30 days. So like um, the new In the Heights or like Mortal Kombat or the new Conjuring movie, like they were put on HBO Max the same day as they were released in theaters, but they're only in HBO Max for like 30 days. Then they go off mm-hmm. where Disney Plus, um, some films like shifted to just just the service like another Pixar movie well actually the most two recent Pixar movies Luca and Soul which was also directed by Pete Doctor they were just put on Disney Plus just for free but other films like Black Widow, Cruella, Ryan the Last Dragon they were on for like what they call premiere access for an extra 30 bucks and then you just have it. So is there like, I don't know if we're getting too off topic, but like Mm. Luca, for example, because like I've been interested in watching that, you know, they're not, like I said before, they're not getting like, like specifically like $30 from each person. They're just getting paid by Disney plus. Yeah. They're just, it's just on there for everyone. Huh. Yeah. I don't know how you would even quantify success. Well, I think at at that point, it's just by like, you know, obviously they're getting their, they're getting the monthly membership fees. And if you have enough of those people, like I think Disney Plus is like 90 million subscribers. Oh, wow. If you like so times the 799 times that many, like, you know, they're, 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 they're getting money. They're doing good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting, especially nowadays. Yeah. With like the state of the world and 
you know, who knows, like as as of this recording, that good old Delta variant is out in the world. So who knows how that's going to affect things like the movie theaters as well. Lovely. Yes. Yeah, it could it could change again. We don't know. Yes. Not to get too serious here (laughs) in a movie about emotions. (laughs) Bringing on that fear. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the Inside Out sequel. It's (laughs) Riley's COVID-19 experience. (laughs) How she deals with Zoom school and social distancing. Honestly, I feel like not that I would necessarily want to watch that because I don't think anybody really wants to watch anything that has to do with COVID right now. But just like the idea of like taking a specific like situation or just to like make an exercise of like what what emotions would be interacting with each other, you know, like how would she interact? So I I can imagine Joy wanting to be like, oh, let's make the best of this. Like we have all this time to ourselves and we can do anything while sadness just like no but yes I am also of the opinion that I do not want to see any movies tv shows related to COVID-19 I have the same opinion with stuff like like 9-11 and stuff I'm like we don't I don't need to see films about this stuff I've lived through it I don't want to see it again Mm -hmm. it might be something you know decades from now people want to maybe learn about it but right now it's like let's let's not right now yeah like for me like tv and film is like kind of an escapism and I can't escape it if it's if you're blasting it in my face Mm -hmm. that's true so yeah onward um a very average pixar movie (laughs) where you have Nah, we don't need to go into that movie. And the other screenwriter for this movie is Josh Cooley, who started working with Pixar with The Incredibles as a storyboard artist. He later acted as storyboard artist for films like Cars and Cars 2, Ratatouille, and made his directorial debut with Toy Story 4. He was supposed to be a co-director of the film, but the person who was set to direct that movie is no longer working with Pixar, so he didn't direct it anymore. And honestly, not a bad film to make your directorial debut with. <laughs> the writers the writers said that they all took influence from their own experience raising children when writing the script. So kind of seeing like how their emotions changed and how like their emotions grew and developed as they grew. I feel like making this film about a child is ultimately going to be a very different thing than making it about an adult. Because when you are a child, like you don't know what your emotions are as a child. You don't know how to react to things. And I do think that like that, you know, obviously, as we see, like the adults, they do have like the same emotions, like anger, fear, disgust and co. Um, But, you know, when you're a kid, like I feel like emotions are more black and white than they are like when you're older, because like you, you really don't, you know, you know what emotion, you know, things like happy and sad and scary are. But like the world when you're a kid is very much more black and white than it is even like when you're a teenager. One last person I did want to shout out before we go to the voice cast is Michael Giaccio. I think I'm pronouncing that name right. It might be um, Giacco. I don't know. Is it Italian? It might be Italian. It looks Italian. <laughs> um, yeah, he joined the film in 2014 as its composer, and he has been an active composer since the mid-90s, but made his major film debut with The Incredibles an iconic score, one of Pixar's best scores. And since then he's like continuously worked with Pixar and Disney. He's made scores for the film like Ratatouille, Up, 
Spider-Man Homecoming, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. So I think all around, like, you know, obviously I feel like of those up is probably like the most famous score because you have that whole sequence in the beginning with that one song playing, but definitely has made some pretty good scores. And Doctor also has a music background called the score Bittersweet and Nostalgic. And I feel like that is a kind of a good way to describe the score because even like Joy's theme, which is like what the first thing you hear does kind of have like a tinge of sadness to it. It's just that like that single piano note just playing. And like, I think it's such a good score. (laughs) And like, it really is a unique score too, because it's very, I mean, obviously you get your full orchestral moments, but it is a very minimalist score too, which you don't really get in a lot of family movies in general, even just big budget movies. Yeah, it felt pretty stripped down. I When I watched it again, I was trying to observe the, the music in the background a bit. I'll, the only thing I really noticed was, you know, when they're intense um, adventure scenes, they would have, you know, the the more dramatic, louder, quicker music, but then the sequence at the beginning, the mm-hmm. I don't like I feel like they integrated that, they integrated that a lot throughout the movie, but in different yeah. ways. Yeah, like the dun 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 like uh, I think it hurts. <laughs> I love that. That's like one of my favorite like film songs, like period. And yeah, and like that is kind of like a good point because I feel like when they're in the headquarters, it's a very minimalist, but like once though that like um, pod opens up and joy and sadness gets sucked out of headquarters and go into the wider reaches of Riley's head that's when the score opens up more because their world is opened up I didn't think about it like that that's I don't know like- if that's what he was going for but that's the way I saw it as I like how you saw it <laughs> <laughs> no I love this score it is such a good score and I do listen to it sometimes when I go to Disney's California Adventure theme park they have a whole Pixar Pier section and the music they play is just basically different Pixar songs. So I do get the inside out score and, you know, to kind of tease a later part of the section around the inside out ride is literally just inside out music playing everywhere. Oh no, I feel like I would be too emotional, which is ironic, but like, (laughs) I feel like I'd be so emotional listening to it just because of just certain scenes in this film. Mm -hmm. They just, they just tug at the heartstrings. They do. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like, no, definitely. I Like I said, this is my favorite Pixar score. And like, I feel like Pixar has a lot of strong scores in its library, but this is m- my personal favorite score from a Pixar movie. And going on to the voice cast, um, as our main character, Joy, we have Amy Poehler. Um, you probably know who she is. She's in a lot of things. Polar actually helped shape the character of Joy, who was a tough character for the team to crack. When you make a character film, you want them to be three-dimensional. And like, they were having trouble like making a character whose main trait is happiness, Mm -hmm. trying to make that three-dimensional. And they did eventually realize that the fact that she is so unflinchingly positive, that could be a source of vulnerability for the character. Like, you know, she wants to be happy. She wants Riley to be happy. She wants everyone to be happy. And like, you know, happiness in a lot of ways for a lot of people is used as kind of a mask. So it is kind of like, yeah, great you point. Know. Mm-hmm. And this, and I, then- I, I know next to nothing about psychology, but you know, sometimes I can pull like a little, little something out. <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. Um, another thing that I was thinking about this, have you heard about this term going around lately called toxic positivity? Yes, yes. So so th- throughout the movie, when Joy was interacting with sadness a lot of the time, I felt like it reminded me of toxic positivity. And mm-hmm. if anybody who's listening doesn't know what that is, basically it's using positivity in a way to devalue somebody else's experience to yes. just say, you know, 
suck it up things are going to be okay and it's like not letting people experience like their other emotions so Mm -hmm. I noticed joy in a sense doing this a lot I mean that's her one that's her one emotion she's happy and she wants other people to be the same way that she is but there aren't any other characters or any other emotions in this movie that want the other emotions to feel the same way as them yes I think that is because you know like happiness is generally something that kind of like is the loudest of the emotions. Well, maybe next to anger, but happiness can be like kind of like the loudest of the emotions. Like when you are positive, it just goes back to that toxic positivity thing. It's like, if you're positive, you want other people to be positive around you. Like, come on, cheer up. It's yeah. not that bad. And like, I wouldn't call Joy an unlikable character, but she kind of like earthed the line of being unlikable by like the way she treats sadness and everything thing like, you know, mm-hmm. like just undervaluing her. And I, you know, I do think like, I can see how this character was tough to make. She isn't because obviously they show that she does care about Riley and she cares, she wants the best for Riley. And so it, I think they do a good job of like, kind of like treading the line between like, you know, she is can be kind of unlikable, but also like, she is willing to be vulnerable and you know she ultimately does want the best for Riley and she uses her I guess her her hope or her optimism to continue on this adventure of trying to get back so Mm -hmm. she uses she finds a way to be courageous throughout it yeah Um, yeah yeah, no, I, I, there is, and there is, like, I feel like there is, like, there is a power in optimism, especially, like, I mean, with the past year we've had, like, it's been, it seems like negativity and on, like, bad news upon bad news. So, like, you know, it does take some sort of strength to, like, have an optimistic attitude. I mean, it's a very fine line, I feel like, between optimism and that toxic positivity, but there is a strength in, like, being optimistic in the worst situations. Another thing about joy, I'm not sure if you were thinking about talking about this, but you know, all of the characters, you know, they're associated by a certain color, like anger is mm-hmm. red, yes. sadness is blue. The, the one thing that I noticed about Joy is she has blue hair. Yeah, that's actually, yes. Are you going to bring that up? Because No, I wasn't. Um, It's something that I've noticed. But yeah, I don't know. I remember I, that's definitely something I've noticed. Yeah, every other character has a very monochromatic look mm-hmm. and Joy almost does, but her hair isn't. Yeah. I don't know if that's tying back into the at the end of the movie when we find out that one of her core memories or one of Riley's core memories is um, is gold and blue, which meant like it was intertwined with like happiness and sadness. I'm not sure if it was alluding to that. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I was like, why does she have blue hair when sadness has blue hair? Um, I'm going to see if there's anything that really says anything because and she also kind of is like. I remember she is kind of like the more like the most human like of them too in terms of like her design and appearance like the rest of them are very like kind of like shorter and kind of more exaggerated where Joy's very slender and like has like a round face. I didn't think about it like that yeah she she looks the most human I guess when you think about like stature and just how she looks but when you compare it to like anger it's just like he's just a square. (laughs) Yeah I don't know yeah I don't know if there is anything like deeper to that but yeah no it definitely is interesting maybe it's just because she is the main character so they want to make her stand out that's a good point yeah but no definitely that is definitely something I have noticed before and like she's like there's a lot of things that make her stand out like every other character kind of has like a full outfit and she just has like her dress like no shoes or anything I feel like the other characters don't really glow like in the way that she does maybe that's just because of like her emotion but yeah I don't know I don't know if there's like a deeper reason than that but I, it is definitely something I've noticed as well. Yeah, it makes sense, though, bringing up 
making her stand out more compared to the other you know you don't want you don't want the supporting characters to outshine the main character yeah. if that's the, the purpose of it but uh, it was interesting because you brought up joy being the main character but wouldn't you argue that riley is the main character because it is riley or is it joy it could be either <laughs> yes definitely something i think talk about like i in terms of like you know the story and the protagonist i definitely would call joy the main character she is the one we follow is we the one we follow her when she but no i do i I, there is the argument that i like is riley actually the main character but yeah but in just to make things simple i would call joy the main character yeah i'm just being silly (laughs) i know no i've i've listen i've had this thought myself is like is riley actually the main character even though like you know you don't see the the Riley dolls on sale at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like she's, I mean, I, I feel like she's really not in the movie very much. You know, no. like seeing her face or seeing her talk to other people, it's only based on what the emotions, I guess, are quote unquote making her do. Mm-hmm. It's not like you just see her living. You see her living through what the emotions are telling her what to do. Yeah, and I think that is a deliberate choice because, yeah, the film... Yes, it. I mean, it technically is about Riley, but it's not about her. It's about like the emotions inside of her. So it's like, I feel like if we get like, just like her like living life separated from what's going on in the headquarters, I feel like that kind of like takes away from what the film is ultimately trying to be about. I agree. That makes sense. <laughs> also in the cast is Phyllis Smith as Sadness, probably most known for her role in The Office as Phyllis. Um, Bill Hader at Sphere, who got the role after staying at the Pixar studio for a week, where he apparently helped with the story. I don't know what that means, but he's been in numerous other Pixar films since then, including Monsters University, Finding Dory, and Toy Story 4. Um, Mindy Kaling as Disgust, Louis Black as Anger, and Richard Kind as Bing Bong, who they originally kept the character of Bing Bong a secret because they wanted the character to be a surprise in in like the film when it actually premiered and I actually kind of remember this because you know if you look at all the marketing and the trailers like Bing Bong isn't there at all like he's not mentioned at all and then I remember the funniest thing I was doing grocery shopping and I saw inside out fruit snacks and they had all like the inside out characters and then they had Bing Bong and I'm like who is this so I was convinced Bing Bong was the villain of the movie and when they show up, they kind of do kind of like set him up as a villain in a way before like ultimately like it's no, he's a hero and like he's like, you know, uh, tragic. But um, I kind of thought like, oh, is this like the villain of the story? Like hid the imaginary friend who's been come so jaded after all these years of being forgotten. But no, he's just an innocent good boy. I, I was speechless for a moment when you said that he could possibly be a villain. Oh my God. Well, I, I, cause you know, like they tend to, when, when they keep characters secret, they tend to be like the villain or like, you know, especially like nowadays Disney, like they don't do like traditional villains. Like all their villains are like secret villains or like twist villains, you know, like with stuff like Frozen and Moana and Wreck-It Ralph and basically every Disney animated movie of the past like five years. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a secret villain. So like I was expecting that and no that's not what happened no quite the opposite I remember when I saw this I actually went to see it in the theater when I first saw it and I I was so distraught after I mean I feel like most people probably were distraught Mm -hmm. when you find out that Bing Pong sacrifices himself to let Joy get back on top of the I don't know what it was called because they were in that 
ditch or I don't know. The memory dump. Thank you. Yes, the memory dump. Um, Big Mong sacrificed himself so Joy could get out of the memory dump. And it just made me so upset because it was something that I truly was not expecting to happen. I didn't either. But like, you know, we're the fools because we should have expected it to happen because it's a Pixar <laughs> movie and you're not going to get through a Pixar movie without having a little sad time. And even, I mean, even though this movie is sold with a lot of sad times. But now, like, when I'm watching this movie, I was like, oh, it's so obvious he was going to die. But, like, yeah, when you're watching it, it's like, yeah, you don't expect him. Like, you you, you want the best for him. But, no, there is no way he was going to get a happy ending. Yeah, I mean, when I when I watched this again, I was wondering how I would feel about it. And obviously, it wasn't that same kind of, like, visceral feeling about no. the first time. Because it's like, I knew it was happening. So I feel like part of it is mostly about, like, the first time viewing it not knowing what you're going to expect but like then you know about it. it's like it's sad but it doesn't like tear me to yeah shreds. I feel like it's effective in the way that they like portray it because like they have like them like you know singing their hearts out to get the rocket going and like joy is still singing and she doesn't know that he sacrificed herself until like she makes it like that's when she notices and then at that point there's nothing I can she can do about it and like, yeah. you know, when she's just singing, like thinking they're both going to make it. So I feel like I obviously, yeah, obviously it's not going to hit when you already know what's happening. <laughs> but like the way it's portrayed, I feel like is what makes it effective on repeat viewings. Because like you bring up like then the singing, I didn't think about this till now, but there's just such a like the the juxtaposition, you could say, mm-hmm. of like the, the happy song. And then immediately yes. after this extremely sad moment of realization that Bing Bong didn't make it, mm-hmm. I think that really added to that particular scene too. Oh yeah, and like it does relate to one of Riley's happy childhood memories. Like it's a moment that like is a happy memory, but is being used in a different context that is now sad. And I think now that you say that, I think that's one of the things that really fascinated me about this film, especially the first time I watched it, when you have a happy memory and then you see sadness touching mm-hmm. all of the, the happy memories and then they immediately get sad. I thought that was really interesting how they how they showed that because, you know, if you think about that in like your general life, it's all about, in a sense, I mean, not necessarily nostalgia, but based on looking back on things, it could totally distort your interpretation or perception of how you think about things um Mm -hmm. so that was another thing that stood out to me when I I watched it the first time yeah no because like I think we tend to think of nostalgia as like a happy emotion because like oh reminds me of happier times this thing I love but like there also is a sadness in nostalgia because it's like part of it is also like oh I wish I could relive this I wish like I could have this memory back and I think that goes to the um back to the point of emotions not being black and white like how we view a memory one day isn't necessarily going to be the same as how we view it the next day and things like that. And I think that like they do, they do it in a, it's like a subtle way of them showing it, but like, it's a very smart way of them showing that. Mm-hmm. I know we kind of veered off course in the cast, but like, I feel like they really did do a good job of like casting actors related to like their characters. Obviously I know you probably, I know you said you don't know all of these actors, but like, you know, based on the ones we do know, like Amy Poehler, like if you've seen Parks and Recreation, that is Leslie Nope. She is a very optimistic, joyful (laughs) character. Um, Obviously Phyllis in the office is a very downbeat character. Um, So like, I feel like they did a good job, but they're also able to portray their characters not as one dimensional. Obviously. Yeah. Like we said, characters like anger, disgust, fear are a little more one dimensional, but joy and sadness, especially like obviously they're actors are known for the emotions that they portray but they're also are allowed to give them more depth and dimension than just those base emotions 
Yeah, and and going off of that, just thinking about each emotion separately, if you think about like the voice acting, for example, like how each voice had like a distinction, like if you think about sadness, had like this deep kind of just down voice, I guess, Mm -hmm. and then joy was upbeat and disgust just had sort of like some sort of, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's almost valley girl maybe like kind of like almost a valley girl act not quite but like something similar to like that yeah like like, gross basically that's the whole character Mm -hmm. yeah but what if they did like for example i wonder what would have happened if they made um anger voiced by a woman how would that mm-hmm. have gone? Because if you, I feel like if you think of, you know, anger is a prominently, you know, masculine voice. And then yeah. the other ones are all voiced by, besides fear, but you kind of forget fear in the mix. <laughs> fear. Like all the other ones are voiced by feminine actors. So I feel like it, it could have completely changed going off of, you know, the the depiction of, you know, what, what anger could be. But that's yeah. just something else that I noticed. Yeah, I mean, obviously not to go too deep into this. When you go into like brief glimpses of other people's head, like her mom and dad, like the mom's emotions are all feminine. Like they look just like the mom mm-hmm. and the dads look just like the dad. And even the kids, the boy she meets at the end of the movie, like all of them are styled like him. And maybe it's just because like, maybe it's like going back to like that conversation about joy. Like maybe it's just because like, she's the main character so like hers have to stand out more and like they're giving more definition but yeah it is very interesting that like her emotions are very unique compared to the brief glimpses of other people's emotions that we get yeah I like how they did show brief glimpses of of other characters but I'm glad they didn't go too into depth because then it would have veered off course it would have yeah definitely because this is about Riley's head this is about this specific girl in this specific moment and like I feel like it was important to show like yes this is like a common thing in everyone's experience but yes I do agree like showing any more that would have really gone off the rails Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean going off like kind of that I think it would it would have been interesting just to see like Riley's emotions just be women because I mean we haven't gotten a Pixar movie that's just well obviously we've gotten Pixar movies that have had women leads but um it would be cool to just see like an all women lineup in a Pixar movie especially because um based off what we know now about Pixar it was not the most inclusive or friendly place to women um back in the day so it would have been kind of a cool thing to see from Pixar but alas maybe maybe in the future (laughs) maybe one day they are finally getting a more diverse slate of directors so that's good Even before the film was released, Inside Out got a lot of comparisons to a now extinct Disney World attraction, Cranium Command, which I teased a little earlier. It was a show that put you inside the mind of a little boy as you went throughout a normal day. It was kind of like a stage show. It was mostly screen-based, but there were some animatronics as well to kind of like supplant that. Um, Though instead of the brain being filled with emotions, it was filled by like different parts of the brain. So like left brain, right brain, hypothalamus, all that. And Pete Doctor worked on the attraction and he literally said the attraction was a straight up like inspiration for the film. So like it wasn't just like, you know, like copying it or anything. That's cool. And I that, know that. And this <laughs> did, I mean, this is going veering off into theme park territory, which I I I feel like I have to go into every episode going to theme park territory um this did make a lot of people feel like inside out would be a good fit for epcot but we haven't seen any major presence for the film have you ever visited disney world or epcot specifically i went to disney world when i was like three or four so i i I don't really have much of a memory and if i did probably not yeah i don't remember i remember going on like two rides that's it i was like Mm -hmm. a baby 
so <laughs> yeah that's fair no like I mean especially I mean Epcot was a very different in like when they opened in the 80s it was all about like education and like teach you about different parts like there was a whole pavilion that was about like health and fitness and everything and then it was like very educational uh it's not it's not really like that anymore but it would be kind of cool to see something like that going inside the head but um and I just need to mention this because it's something I think about every day um Cranium Command is the location of an animatronic the host of the animatronic Buzzy um so basically the attraction just sat abandoned and closed for like almost a decade just like it wasn't being used and then someone just stole the animatronic like the animatronic <laughs> went missing and no one from inside of Disney World and no one knows what happened to it why <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things because like I mean obviously like I said I love theme parks and it's so it's like when I found this story like it rocked my world and we still don't know what happened to this happened in like 2017 2018 and we still don't know what happened to him was it like a, was it big um yeah it's an I mean it's a robot it's like a full-size robot so it's like about like probably like 300 500 pounds and like it was attached to like it was on like a platform and I'll attach the hydraulic wires so like those wires were like hacked they were like hacked through like someone just no, like, like cut them is there not a security system or something like that wow that's the thing like someone literally stole it from inside Disney World probably while it was open yeah, and it's something I think about, and I just had to give it a quick shout out because it's something that lives in my head rent free. Lost forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yes, going back to the film that we are talking about, um, Inside Out was released on June 19th, 2015, after premiering at the Cannes Film Festival. And while Disney was positive and encouraging towards the film, there was some hesitation. Disney really was on board with this film, especially after the success of Up. Um, Disney really was on board with Doctor making another quote-unquote sophisticated film, though they did concede it would be a tough film to market. Um, it was given a test screening for children because of its complicated subject matter, but it was successful. And like, I do get it. Like, it's like, how do you market a film that's about the human brain? And like, mm -hmm. I think the fact that they made the emotions characters is like the best way to make a film and market it towards children. However, it did release to massive commercial success. It earned 91 million on its opening weekend, which was the highest opening weekend for an original title at the time. Though ironically, it was the first Pixar movie to not debut at the top of the box office. I don't know what movie did, but it doesn't matter because Pixar still was probably really happy with it anyway. It ultimately earned over $859 million at the box office, and it was re-released last year during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, because since new movies weren't being released, Disney released a lot of um, older films to play in like drive-ins and everything. So I oh. think they released films like Inside Out, um, a Star Wars movie, some Marvel movies, and it netted an extra $1 million. It was also a critical success with many critics praising its complex themes and it won the Oscar for best animated feature and was nominated for best original screenplay. Um, as we did like mention a little earlier, no sequel is currently on the horizon as Pixar is choosing to focus more on original properties, especially as Inside Out came in between like a lot of sequels from Pixar. Like this was there where we got Monsters University, Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, Cars 3. Um, so, you know, it was like kind of like the one of the few original films in that era. And honestly, personally, I don't see how a sequel would work for this movie. And if you did make one, I feel like it would just retread a lot of the same ground. So, you know, I'm fine with it just being a singular thing. Yeah, it seemed 
pretty resolved at the end. I mean, I know at the end, Joy says, Riley is 11 now or 12 now. What could go wrong? Something like that. I'm like, haha, it's funny. But then it ends. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it feels resolved. Like, in yeah. a way, she's like more integrated into like her new life and she's going to find her way. And hopefully, it's you live happily ever after, I guess. But yeah, um, there doesn't need to be a sequel. I feel like yeah. some movies that we don't need that. It yes. should just be a standalone movie. For sure. Um, it did get like sort of a sequel with the short Riley's first date, which was included in the DVD release. And like I said, I love theme parks, so I got to talk about theme parks. Its only theme park presence is the Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind attraction at Disney's California Adventure. And Ooh. for all of that, Inside Out is one of the most inventive and bold film projects to come from Pixar. The ride itself is not. It is a spinner ride. It's like a hot air balloon style ride. So like you get in like a little like basket that kind of has like the memory core and like it just rises up and it spins you around while inside out music plays and like the characters like talk. They say like little quips. I feel like I wouldn't like that. That sounds weird. I don't know. Did you go on it? I've been on it. Yeah, it's like a, it's a it's a kids ride. Like there's no fire or anything. Yeah, it's like a very (laughs) gentle ride. Um, Well, it actually it not to go too deep into the theme park weeds here but in california adventure there used to be a land called a bug's land which was based off a bug's life a bug's land closed about two years ago to make room for their new avengers campus land because of course disney was going to make a marble land and there was a ride called flicks flyers that obviously shut down the land shut down and so they rethemed that to Inside Out Emotional Whirlwind, even though Bugs Life is already a Pixar film. So it's literally a ride that already existed, just with a different coat of paint. They just rebranded the ride? That's a thing? I didn't oh, yeah. even know that happened. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Like, nothing, like, dramatic like this, like, literally moving it. Even in the same park, they took the old Tower of Terror ride and turned it into Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, they just, like, completely overhauled it and, like, they're going to do that with Splash Mountain, turn it into the Princess and the Frog ride. They've done it with another ride in Epcot that was in their Norway pavilion and turned it into a Frozen ride. So it is a pretty common thing. No, I, I had no idea that, you know, I mean, obviously so much has to go to the themes parks, but I didn't realize that they could just be repurposed like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense because if you think about, you know, how it is now, it's going to be different years from now because there's going to be more movies. There's going to be more relevant (laughs) new things. So it's going to have to change. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I am much more in tune with the goings-on of the theme park world. So, like, this is stuff I know about. But, yeah, because it's, yeah, like, obviously, like, it's a Pixar-themed land. So A Bug's Life could work, but Inside Out is the more relevant film property. So it's, like, they got to change it to that. And, like, it is, it's a kind of a cool area, like, they kind of theme the area around it so it is like the headquarters so you have the different like memory spheres like and like all on their shelves and everything and you have figures of the inside out characters like disgust stands like right outside fears next to like a gag height marker just saying that there's no height required and joy and sadness are standing on there you can also meet joy and sadness at the disney theme parks it's so fun like sadness is just so she just wants like to hug you oh and i want to such a good character it is she is I think like like I mean the vocal performance is great but just like even like just her design and like just her like personality and her animation is so good I just love how I feel like she is the emotion that develops the most throughout this film I mean I think joy in a sense develops a bit because you know she 
she starts to understand sadness and how, you know, sadness can bring people together. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was this one part in the film where she was talking with Bing Bong and she was showing empathy in a way that Joy didn't really understand. So yeah, it was just really interesting to see how she um, developed throughout the movie. No, for sure. I love sadness and it's so fun. I mean, obviously Joy is like fun to meet too because she's all bouncing around and like very happy to meet you. But like when I met one time at sadness, she just held my hand when we took the picture. That is beautiful. And though a lot of sequels did follow Inside Out's release, um, the film did show that Pixar was able to still create original ideas that were successful. And as of right now, its slate is pretty full of mostly original ideas. We just got Soul from the same director, Luca, which was a very good movie. I loved that movie. And they just released a trailer for their new movie, Seeing Red. So Pixar went through a kind of a turbulent time in the past few couple years, but it seems to be doing well. And also Pete Doctor was promoted to, I think, the CCO of Pixar. Like he is currently running Pixar. So, yeah, I didn't you know. realize that he was involved in so much. I didn't know that he was an animator and then director. Looks like you kind of make your way up. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so he is currently, because like once um, he shall not be named left Pixar and because he also ran the animation studio so Pete Doctor is the head of Pixar and the director of Frozen Jennifer Lee is now the head of Walt Disney Animation Studios it looks like we're in a new era of Pixar and you know I don't think Inside Out is responsible for it but definitely I think it's like was a signal of things to come And so now that we went through that history of the film with some nice fun tangents along the way, I kind of want to talk about the film itself and kind of our thoughts on it. And I really did want to like talk about how this film handles emotions and how like they are used in our day to day life. I, I know like obviously, yeah, it's not like completely accurate just because of the necessities of storytelling. But I really like that sequence at the beginning when they show like each emotion. They show like fear. So she is cautious and doesn't trip over the wire. They use disgusted like a joking way so she doesn't get poisoned. Mm -hmm. And like it's kind of a fun way to show like, yes, like these emotions they exist for a reason. They exist to help us navigate through life. And I think it's a very smart way. Like they don't like beat you over the head with it, but I feel like it's a very smart and subtle way of like introducing how each emotion is important in our day-to-day lives. Exactly. It's in a way like each emotion is justifying its reason for existing. Mm -hmm. And going back, you know, it's, it's also, if if we want to go to the origin origins, it's kind of like, you know, these are due to evolution and survival and, these are the things that we needed to do to adapt to the scariness of the world, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to imagine, now that you mentioned, I kind of want to just imagine like a prehistoric inside <laughs> out where like it's a caveman and he just has like a prehistoric headquarters just in his mind. <laughs> wow, that would just be like, a, what is that? I feel like there's something that's always mentioned like when you're in certain classes, it's like, you know, flight or f- flight, flight or, or flight. F- Thank you. I for I got tongue tied there. Fight or flight. Um, 
so in a sense, it's, you know, it's activating your fear response. Um, seeing, you know, are you going to be courageous? Or are you kind of going to leave, I guess, in a way where you can still survive? But another thing I want to bring up about certain emotions, like joy versus anger. So I think joy was more calculated with her approach in, in a good way of knowing what she wanted to do to try to get back to headquarters. But on the flip side, anger very much operated on impulsivity. I feel mm-hmm. like he didn't really let himself think things through. He kind of just let his anger get the best of him. And because of that, he made rash decisions that ultimately he regretted in the end. So it shows, you know, if, you know, certain times, you know, the cliche of like, you know, letting emotions get the better of you is not always a good thing. No, for sure. Like, yeah, I think, I mean, it kind of, when you're angry, we're more prone to make rash decisions that like, you know, in the moment seem good, but like the moment, like that anger cools off, you're like, why did I do that? Like, why did I do that? And like, when you're obviously when you're happy, like, I mean, sometimes you can make more rash decisions when you're happy, but like, you know, you have a more clear set of eyes, like when you're in a good mood. So you are able to be more calculated. I kind of like how that kind of relates, like how we act just in our lives when we're feeling a specific emotion. Exactly. And going off of how, you know, the development of Riley and how her feelings change throughout the film, I really think, tell me what you think about this. I think towards the end of the movie when she's, you know, she's running away, she's trying to get back to Minnesota. It really makes me think it's depicting depression because there's an absence of happiness. She's withdrawn. She's apathetic. She's isolating herself. So there's so many aspects of it. And I feel like if you're thinking about it from a standpoint of like being depressed, I feel like it really relates that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's actually a point I wanted to talk about was like how this film handles depression. Like when you watch it, they do not say that she has depression, but like she clearly does. Like she clearly is in a depressive state. Because I think that kind of like, you know, obviously we know better. We're more tuned about mental health. But like even like when we were younger, I feel like people like just said depression is like when you're sad, you're just very sad. And like the whole thing with depression is like you don't feel really almost any emotions. Like you are just sullen and sunk and just like, yeah, like withdrawn. And like, I feel like, explaining it as like the emotions no longer can control Riley like they can't dictate any of her actions like the emotions are like cut off from Riley I feel like that's like a good like visual indicator of like her depression without without even saying like it is depression like it's just like the emotions are cut off from Riley like she isn't feeling any of the emotions even the ones that are still in her headquarters yeah that's that reminds me of um towards the end where anger has that little I don't know, some sort of diamond that he puts into the, Yeah. I don't know what you would call it. The idea tries, thing. He tries to get it out and he realizes that he can't, he doesn't have that power to do mm. that. Yeah. And um, I think it's fitting that like sadness is the one who is able to do it because it's only by expressing the emotions of sadness. Is she able to finally clear her head and finally like talk to her parents about everything she's feeling? Because I feel like, you know, the fact that sadness isn't there there is no other way to express how she's feeling obviously she can express like disgust and anger about what she's feeling but like I mean obviously the film talks about how important sadness is but that is one of the values of sadness as an emotion is that like sadness is really the time where you really express everything you're feeling like it is the most vulnerable you are is when you're sad and that's really when you can like say like this is how I'm feeling and like this is like mask off this is completely how I'm feeling like I'm not I'm not like fronting anything. That's a really 
interesting perspective, especially because I didn't think about it like this before, but you know, I was saying like the absence of joy, the absence of happiness, but also sadness wasn't there either. Mm -hmm. And then once sadness comes, wow, thank you for that. <laughs> no, it really is interesting because, you know, if, if I guess in a real life setting is, you know, repressing your emotions, you're not letting yourself feel anything. And because mm -hmm. you're not doing that, you're not communicating anything. And because yeah. you said that, it made me realize she's not talking about any of her problems in this movie. She's no. just in her head. You know, her parents ask her how she is and she just deflects. She yells, she stomps off. She has a tantrum, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. She's not really expressing herself until like right at the end. I mean, sadness is more often the emotion that we, it's the emotion that we repress. Like you don't often see people repressing their like happiness. And like, I mean, sometimes you repress yeah. your anger or fear, but like sadness is always the one that like almost always gets bottled up if we're bottling up emotions. Cause like, you don't want to tell people if you're feeling sad, like, you know, like everyone like, yeah. and so like, you know, it does, I think that's like another thing. Yeah. Like sadness is the one that is repressed and the absence of sadness is basically yeah equivalent to bottling up your sad emotions it's shown like bottling up your emotions because i am not to get too deep on the pod but <laughs> i am someone who tends to bottle up their emotions so like you know and it all it does it does have its adverse effects and so like you know you let when you repress one emotion it lets other emotions just take over and like just make rash decisions that like aren't really good decisions yeah well i'm sorry that you struggle with that i feel like it's you know it's, oh it's fine it's fine it's, no i mean no but it's one of those things where it's like i, I feel like it, i was talking about this with somebody recently about how at least in america you know people will just um you know they'll greet you by saying like hi how are you but like mm -hmm. they're not actually asking how you are no so you automatically come up with a response saying i'm fine are you good mm -hmm. so almost always you're lying about how you're feeling which yeah. kind of a way like it's kind of being deep about maybe i'm not supposed to be but like in a way it's like you're kind of training yourself to not actually say how you feel about things yeah um yeah no totally i agree it's like that thing where like you're asked like yeah we're we're constantly asked like not even just one time throughout the entire day we're asked like how are you and like you know it's just like obviously like you know some with some people you're more willing to be like it wasn't good it was bad but like when you're just asked by like just like people like at the grocery checkout line like you're not gonna say oh i'm feeling sad today like i had a really bad day like you're not gonna tell them that like you're imagine. gonna tell them you're good wow imagine i feel like that's not something that ever happens it's like nobody's no. actually ever saying that it's always just like Fine, good. And then which, which, like, I like, mean, I don't want to like unload my traumas on this poor cashier who's probably like making minimum wage and like maybe even younger than me. No, I'm not saying to actually do that, but I guess no. just mean like thinking about like if somebody was actually honest, yeah, what would happen? It would just be like, I'm just trying to do my job here. I mean, I could <laughs> see it being like, you know, if everyone did it, it could make our maybe make our world a little better because we're not just yeah. repressing our emotions on the daily, but also, yeah, we're not, we shouldn't have to throw everything at the poor cashier who just, <laughs> no. who's 10 minutes away from clocking out. No, that's not what I was suggesting. I would not want to do that. You know, the people that work in like the food service and just like people need to, and customer service, all that people need to be nicer to them because it's- Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, no, I agree. Yes, treat, treat service workers with respect, especially now in current yeah. times. I wanted to bring up, um, what would you, uh, like, uh, what would you call it when you realize there's like a plot, plot hole, plot hole. Bing bong shouldn't be existing. 
Riley already forgot about him. Why is he still like? Shouldn't if he had like, like withered away like by now? Maybe it's because he is like it, like an actual physical thing. Uh, Maybe like that kind of allows him because like the movie in long term memory, like technically. I mean, yeah, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's because he's like a physical thing who has like sentience and like control of his actions. Maybe he's been able mm-hmm. to avoid it and he just is lives in her brain. But, you know, it's it's OK. It's just it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I know. I'm just I guess it's because we're dissecting and I'm like, hmm, I'm no, yeah, about this. <laughs> no, I get it. Like it happens. Like, believe me, like, like when you watch a movie like with this lens, like you're like, huh, really interesting. But no, that actually reminded me of something I want to talk about. Like, I love the the world of Riley's head like obviously the head course I like the look of it and the distinct look but I think it's really interesting how they like make different parts of our like brain like for more or less like how they represent it like how the dream the dreams are like a movie studio and like there's a film set that they like they get the script from that day's memories and like it's them like a film set and then imagination land is just kind of like this theme park area that's like full of like this unique abstract over the top things like I think it's a very clever clear thing and then subconscious is like this deep dark scary like world (laughs) or like kind of like a horror movie settings I feel like it's very interesting how they like present the different aspects of the mind exactly yeah and going off of like the dream the dream kind of studio I wonder why they chose to make the train of thought stop running when she fell asleep because Mm -hmm. if you think about it the mind is still active when you're asleep sometimes it's you know it's it's healing your body it's doing all of these things and of course if they made the train run the movie would be shorter yeah but um you know they're not trying to um make everything like super accurate but um I just I thought that was kind of cute like the train of thought you know they're actually yeah. making it a literal thing <laughs> yeah so obviously our body is still functioning while we sleep but it's if it's like functioning at a slower pace so maybe it's like reflective of that and yeah okay, like you said yeah. like it's like you know it's it's storytelling reasons like you said but like I do no I love trains anything involving trains so the fact that train of thought is just like it's just a train that just has random thoughts of the day that just get, delivers them I think it's such a I, I really is such a cool like unique world and I also liked the um I don't know what you call it because there's just so many sections of when joy and sadness get sucked into you know, outside of the headquarters and they just see rows and rows and rows of mm-hmm. different memories and how there were the little workers that were trying to get rid of some that weren't there anymore. And it just made me think of like all of the things, like all the memories that we have, like we could access them again if we we're in the right place. Like if, yeah, since we went to the same college, there are probably things that we've forgotten about, but if oh, yeah. we went back, would we remember things that we just completely forgot about? I find that so fascinating. Oh yeah. And like, I do like how, yeah, how they like how long-term memory is like just this like warehouse every day they go through memories that have faded because obviously yeah obviously our long-term memory is has limited capacity except I mean except for some people who don't like we have limited capacity up there so it's very it's really kind of a funny like interpretation of that there's literally like factory workers whose job it is to literally just like take <laughs> memories that have been faded and just erase them and just suck them up into the memory dump memory dump yeah no they really they really did an impressive job of trying to find different things in the brain like the dreaming and just memories and just trying to make it fun and exciting to watch yeah and I I think the memory dump like kind of when I said that kind of it's about I feel like that's very interesting too because like yes when we forget memories like 
the memory technically like is kind of still there, but like we just, we can't access anymore. So it might as well be gone, but it's technically still there because we lived it and we experienced it. So it's kind of like a representation of that. It's like these memories, they're there, but they're not functional anymore. And I think like the subconscious, the no, the abstract thought, it was just one of my favorite things of the film. It's like, <gasps> yes. what's today's thought? Loneliness. I like how their shapes changed and shifted. It was pretty fun, that section too. Yes. And the, what is it? The uh, imagination land. Yes. I like that too. Just a lot of fun, different things that they wouldn't have known about if they if they didn't leave headquarters, even though if it was unwillingly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really cool because like, obviously, yeah, like first glimpse, like you think that that the world, Riley's world is literally just headquarters. But when you go through, it's like, no, it's literally a whole civilization in her head. And I think it's really cool. And like, I kind of, I get why we didn't see them because like the plot of the movie, but like, it'd be really cool to see like what the personality islands were like. Like, can you actually go to them? Yeah. And like, what are they like? Yeah. I also wanted to bring up the mm, I'm not sure of the the specific wording for it but like I guess the how they colored how they colored the um, film the color palette sure yes um I want to bring that up because I remember um in your Coco episode that um you were talking about how oh my gosh I forgot the main character's name but like Miguel. his world yes Miguel like his world is kind of you know muted colors and then when he goes into like the the what's it called i'm sorry the land the, of the dead thank you yes it's like very colorful and vibrant and like thinking about that r- reminds me of like or made me think of how that is kind of used in this movie because mm-hmm. riley's physical world is very drab yeah and, muted and ugly and then you see her inner world and it's like like coco it's vibrant and colorful yeah. and exciting so i thought it was a cool um contrast there yeah no for sure and even like when the begin from when she's in minnesota it's very bright and like green and lush and then when with san francisco it's very gray it, i feel like that it is a good like visual shorthand for kind of like you know separating the ordinary from the extraordinary so like you know the real world it's plain it's boring but then like inside the more abstract like fictional like not real world can be like this visually like bright and vibrant world because like it just serves as an extra contrast between like the drab and the ordinary versus the extraordinary that's in our brain that like this thing that's like not real I mean it could be real for all we know but (laughs) I don't know but literal yeah I just love the design of the world overall like I really love the design of the headquarters too how it's like kind of like old-fashioned but also modern and like how it's just dominated by purple and like it's all very round I think it's a very cool look. One more thing I do want to bring up. Um, I thought this, like, after watching this movie again before this episode, I noticed a big theme throughout the movie, which I guess is kind of obvious, but um, the importance of family and just belonging. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a huge theme, especially towards the end, which there's one particular scene that makes me so emotional. And I remember going to this scene, watching it this time, and I'm like, okay, I wonder if I'm going to get sad. And immediately I did. I'm like, I can't help it. It's it's the scene where Riley gets back into the house after running away. And it's specifically when both of her parents look at her extremely concerned. For some reason, that makes me so sad to think like, like she's being seen and like they're like reconnecting and bonding and like trying to mm-hmm. like make their family stronger. It just gets me so upset, but I love it. 
Uh, and then and then when her when their parents say like I miss Minnesota too like so it's yeah. like Riley's not alone and I think yeah no that definitely is like I feel like I would say that is like a pretty big theme the film I mean I feel like it's a pretty big theme of life like especially like when you're that age like when you're like preteen teenagers like that's when you really start to figure out like who you are as a person and like what kind of person you are and like where you feel like you belong in the world because I mean basically yeah our whole lives are spent trying to figure out where we belong in the world and I feel like I feel like sadness is a good like analogy for that because like she doesn't feel like she belongs in the headquarters and like she feels out of place and then you know obviously people like joy don't help that for her like in fact make her feel worse about it and then like it is like through like her interactions with characters outside of the headquarters like when she consoles bing bong like when she like has all these ideas that Joy just dismisses, like daring Riley to wake up. And I feel like it's kind of like true to life. Like you, it's when you're forced out of your comfort zone in the world you know is when you really start to find your place in the world. And that that's really like when you start to figure out like who you are and what your place is. That was beautiful, Aiden. <laughs> Sometimes I can be eloquent. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, the idea of you're always trying to find out where you belong that that hits it does <laughs> but it just changes as you get older you know where you belong in school where you belong in your mm-hmm. professional life where you just belong in general yeah yeah and, and I mean I feel bad for Riley because she's about to probably enter some of the worst years of her life <laughs> yep and I think that's why they, they ended the movie on a, a funny kind yeah. of note when they're like what could go wrong because they're obviously the same age so they don't know what's gonna happen mm-hmm. either and I like the little like puberty button they're like what's that and I was like oh, that's not important yeah but um I, not that I I know we both don't want a sequel but I feel like just this kind of world could like mm-hmm. if this was um if they developed it more like so much more could happen if they yeah. really wanted to but let's not <laughs> yeah like maybe like her as an adult or maybe even just a different character like maybe it wouldn't be as impactful it's if it maybe yeah. feel like it's retreading but like I yeah I feel like there is potential but I really would rather not yeah we could leave it in 2015 <laughs> yeah because it takes away from the specialness and the uniqueness of this one mm-hmm. so that is going to be all for this week thank you so much for joining me Aliana it was a pleasure to talk about this film with you and Anything you would like to plug or just final thoughts before we say goodbye? Hmm. Well, what can I plug? I guess the the quickest thing I could plug is my website because I am a designer. I'm an illustrator. So if you're interested in seeing any of the work I've done or anything I've created, you could go to alianamanteria.com and you could find my socials there if you really wanted to and I want to thank you again for having me today I'm really glad that we could reconnect because it's been some time I'm just happy to be involved with this thank you for letting me be in this world yes this this Disney world of that I've created yes no it was always it's very fun and you're always welcome back and if you want to follow the show, we are on all the social medias at Disney Vaultcast. I am at Aiden Simons on Twitter. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitch, that's Aiden underscore plays games. Um, I am on TikTok right now, but and if you want to follow me on TikTok, that I'm at Aiden underscore makes TikToks. Wow, that's to the point. <laughs> I really wanted to make my Twitter Aiden tweets, but that's been taken 
Did you try it with a Z at the end instead of an S? I don't know if I want that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you might. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is all for this week. And I will see you next time where we go back into the Disney vault. Bye.